All right, we are officially going. Welcome back, Sam, uh, and me, I guess. Uh, we started this uh, interesting uh, journey together with uh, two weeks ago, talking about uh, studying your Bible. Uh, and I think this week's uh, lesson or this week's podcast is just as important uh, because you know, last week we, last week we talked about how to study your Bible and the importance of studying your Bible. Uh, it's also important to sharpen your sword. It's not it's important to not just have the sword and be using the sword, but in order to sharpen your sword. And we do that by coming together. So what we're going to talk about today, uh, Sam actually suggested this topic last uh, last week. Is uh, we're going to talk about just the importance of spending time together and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Uh, together. Why don't we actually start there, Sam? Why don't we start with uh, Hebrews chapter 10? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, verse 24, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, there's a lot of thoughts how... Uh, how well developed those thoughts are is yet to be seen, but there's a lot of thoughts about what is being said here. Um, and I think it's important to note what we're talking about when we talk about assembling together, uh, especially since that's the title of our show, we need to start with that. And so uh, there, a lot of times we go to Hebrews chapter 10 and we talk about assembling together. We say it's really important not to miss the assemblings of the saints, right? The assemblies. And so, you know, it's really important important to be there on Sunday morning. It's really important to be there uh, on Wednesday night or on Sunday nights if you have a Sunday evening service where you're at. Uh, we're not debating those things. We, we do believe that it is important to come together as often as you can. In fact, I've always held the position that uh, Christians who are sincerely seeking to grow in grace and knowledge uh, will seek out every single opportunity that they could possibly have to study the Word of God, especially with other brethren, with, with Christians who might be able to uh, enhance their knowledge uh, and, and study things out with them. Uh, and so I, I, I do think it's important every time there is a gospel meeting or every time uh, there is a, a worship service or a singing or whatever it be, I think that it's important to, for Christians to come together and uh, to assemble together under the banner of the local congregation. If, if I don't know exactly how to word that. Uh, but I think Paul, that's eh, a little slip there. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Some people uh, would disagree with me. The writer of Hebrews uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, I think he has something much more widespread in mind. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so the, uh, the, the Greek word there that is translated assembling, is not the word that is translated church. Um, this is actually one of only two verses in the New Testament that uses this word. Um, and it's not, ecclesia is the word that is usually translated church. Um, that's the word that we use to talk about Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, all of that sort of thing. This word is talking more about a general assembly. It's just talking about spending time together in general. And the only other place in the New Testament where this word is used is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1, talking about Jesus gathering his people together on judgment day. And I think 
I think it's fair to say that if we want to be a part of that gathering, then maybe we should make it a priority to be uh, a part of some gatherings here uh, while we're on earth. It's interesting that uh, the only other time this word is used is, is Jesus gathering on judgment day. And it actually mentions that at the end of this verse where it says so much more as we see that day approaching. And I believe that that's talking about, we see the coming of Christ approaching. And so uh, it's interesting that it's mentioned uh, both times here. I think the important part, uh, the important reason for us mentioning that is not to say uh, this isn't a command to worship on, on Sunday, which is the way it's been taken in conversations I've had in the past. Uh, it's not to say that. What it is to say is that if we limit ourselves to saying that the assembling of the saints is only when the elders have assigned a time to assemble, uh, we're we're taking away from what this passage, like the full meaning of this passage. The full meaning of this passage it, passage isn't gather together uh, when the elders tell you to or when the church has agreed to come together, but don't abandon each other in these times of trials. Don't like the idea of not forsaking coming together, not forsaking the assembling is it's, uh, Hebrew writer is saying, don't abandon each other uh, it, during these times. We talked about this a little bit before the show, but the context of Hebrews chapter 10, we have really the context of the entire book of Hebrews is Christ is better than the old law. The new law is better than the old for, for washing away of sins. Christ is a better sacrifice. Christ is a better high priest. Uh, Christ is a better law. Uh, he is given by a better messenger, which is the mouth of God, rather than uh, the the prophets uh, and prophets and angels. Throughout the whole book, we see that Christ is better is kind of the theme. And in chapter 10, he's talking about Christ being that better sacrifice. And so when we get down to uh, what we're talking about, he just he just got, say, got done talking about how Christ is a better sacrifice and then he's talking about how we ought to respond to that sacrifice. You know, since we are cleansed by the blood of Christ, and since we can enter the holies through the the veil that is His flesh, and so that so because we can have communion with God face to face, in fellowship with Him, perfect fellowship with God, we should have a response to that. And so it uses the phrase "let us," right? And so the first one is uh, "let us draw near with a pure heart." Second one is let us hold fast to our confession. And then the third one is what we're talking about. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, or really let us consider one another in order to stir one another up to love and good works. And how that is done is verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And so it's almost like uh, the Hebrew writer is saying, look at this great price that God has placed on the salvation of mankind. Maybe you should also hold them in high esteem. Maybe you should be concerned about your brother and you should be spending time with them in order to make sure that their iron is sharpened in order to make sure that they're doing good. It may mean that we have to make some sacrifices ourselves in order to do that. Um, yeah. We might have to do some things that we don't want to do. We might have to miss some things that we don't want to miss. Um, but the relationship that we have with our brethren is, uh, is second only to the relationship that we have with our God. Um, yeah. And so we have to uh, recognize that as God's children, um, we are a part of his family and family time is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are things that we're going to have to sacrifice. 
you know, if uh, a little personal to me, I guess, if the uh, if the potluck that is planned and members have invited you over to spend time with Christians uh, happens to fall at the exact same time as week two of the Chiefs NFL season, uh, <laughs> then maybe you should give up week two of the Chiefs NFL season because it's not as important. The right. spending time with Christians and stirring them up is a lot more important. At least it is to God. It is a lot more important than whatever you have on the back burner, whatever you have on the side. And so for me, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's football or maybe it's uh, uh, going to the gym or something, whatever it is that those things need to be set. Uh, some of those things probably either need to be rescheduled or set to the sides in order to make way to helping uh, stir up your brother. And other than the fact that they're your brother, other than the fact that um, that we are a part of the family of God and God has shown value to these people and we also should show value to these people. There are specific purposes um, as to why we are supposed to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, in this context, it talks about um, that we are to stir up love and good works uh, with one another, that we're to consider one another, um, to put other people ahead of ourselves and especially uh, those of the brotherhood, I think, is the idea. Um, but of, of course we can't stir up love and good works if we're not together, if we don't have the relationship to be able to do that. Yeah. It's, uh, interesting. The, one of the passages of scriptures that talks about Christians spending times together, spending time together, Romans chapter 12. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you go Romans chapter 12 verses nine through 21, we're talking about, spending time together, preferring one another's company over the company of the world, right? But if you go before that, it's Romans chapter 12 starts with uh, change your thinking. Think, uh, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So change your thinking. Verse three says, uh, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than, uh, than he ought to, but think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. For as we have uh, many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being, uh, being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. And so here he's saying you, you need to change your thinking. And part of that change of thinking is you need to think not so highly of yourself. And you need to realize that you are one member of an entire body. Although many there's many functions throughout the body, you're a member of the body. And so uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Paul's letter to Ephesus, where he talks about the husband and wife, where he says the the husband, the, the, the woman is of the same body as the man. If you love your wife, you love yourself because you are one. And so it's kind of that, that same idea that's being talked about in Romans, where he says you, you shouldn't think so, so highly of yourself, but instead you should humble yourself. And you should realize that you're just one member of a greater body. And so, and if, if you, if you love someone who is part of your same body, then really you're loving yourself. That's and, right. And so so there, there's a need there uh, for you to forsake yourself. And, you know, some of that is my time. Some of that is my preferences. You know, uh, I used to every week when I lived in Camdenton, I would spend once a week, me and Matt Hodge, who lived at the time in Marshfield, we would spend uh, one day together a week. Um, 
And a lot of those times we spent playing disc golf. And I hate disc golf. I can't, I can't stand it. Uh, but he, he enjoyed, he enjoyed it a lot. And so it was good because it, you know, something we, it's slow pace. We could talk to each other. We could bounce ideas off of each other, talk about our hard, the things that are going on in our lives. Um, he, you know, he was a preaching at his first work and I was preaching at my first work and it was, uh, you know, kind of nice to talk about the difficulties that are there and to help with Bible studies and things like that. But, you know, to be fair, occasionally we would go to a car show and he really didn't care. He doesn't care about car shows, but that's something I like. And so, so sometimes you sacrifice yourself and you think, well, I, you know, I, I'm part of this greater thing and it's not always about me. And we actually talked a little bit before uh, hitting the record button. We talked a little bit about... Uh, that being a mindset in worship where we go to worship and we think, Oh, this is about me. And, and that's, that's not, it's the furthest thing from the truth. First of all, uh, it's about God. And then second, it's about stirring your brother up. It's about being there for your brother, edifying your brother. Uh, Somebody told me a long time ago, if you feel like you've gotten nothing out of worship service, it's probably because you didn't put anything towards the worship service. You didn't put anything into it. And so you, th- you thought you should be getting something, but really the design is for you to give, not to get. Right. And just really goes towards motivation. I think, I think all of that is just a consequence of our environment and our culture. You know, we live in, a, in America, it's like a very corporate atmosphere. Um, and churches in a lot of ways have become uh, consumer driven. Um, they've become like businesses. They're offering a service. Uh, to the congregant instead of um, instead of it being a community of of believers that are working together for a common purpose, it is more of the leadership is viewed as a staff um, as employees rather than um, than leaders. And uh, so, you know, a lot of people when they're looking for a church to go to, their motivation is um, trying to find a church that can get them business connections. Maybe there was. There was a church back home where if you wanted to have a good business connection with the local businesses, that's the church that you went to. Um, and it didn't really care what they taught. People didn't really care what they taught because it was just for their business connections. Um, or uh, maybe they're going for entertainment value. There's a really a dynamic speaker or, um, or something to that effect. Maybe they're going for childcare, trying to find somebody to babysit for them or help them move or, uh, or whatever. Or maybe they're just going to find friends, and that's not right either. Um, all of those things are selfish motivators, um, and and that betrays a uh, a motivation that does not come from a Christ-like attitude. Uh, if we want to be like Christ, we have to be like servants, and uh, and that has to be the purpose behind our gathering. We need to um, be considering one another, like Hebrews tw- uh, ten twenty four says, like Romans twelve says to prefer one another, to put others above ourselves. And in doing that, we will stir up love and good works. Yeah. Not to take a shotgun or a ball bat to a beehive here or anything, but uh, maybe this is where the mindset comes from, where people, for lack of a better phrase, church hop, where we get irritated at somebody at this church. And now we're, uh, we're going to go somewhere else instead of fixing a relationship. 
Um, or it's instead of people with, if they actually have a problem. Yeah. Instead of helping the other person. Exactly. Uh, I just don't have time to deal with that. It's not in my agenda to do that. And so I'm going to, you know, I, you know, I, I think this other place is just going to be a better fit for me uh, because I just cannot stand to be part of this. Um, and so think about Corinth, um, Warren, uh, my co-laborer here in, in uh, Rogers made the point one time that a lot of modern Christians would have moved into Corinth, thought, saw that church and started to work on the other side of town. Yeah. Instead of trying to help that congregation overcome its difficulties. Yeah. And, and it's interesting as much flack as we give Corinth. Um, first of all, there are a lot of their problems are fixed. Not all of them in chap in the second letter there, there are a lot of those problems are fixed. A lot of new problems arise or some new problems arise that from them fixing the old problems, but the, they're willing to stick it out. Right. And, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of things, worse things going on in Corinth in the first century than what we call fellowship issues uh, today. And what we're, uh, you know, imagine if somebody decided that they were going to change the Lord's Supper in one of our assemblies and it's going to be a full, a full meal and not just a meal, but we're also going to get drunk. And, but if you're, you know, if you're poor, you don't get to partake in the meal. You you get to sit in the corner and watch us eat. You're welcome to come watch us eat, but we're not going to let you eat. You know, what if, what if that actually happened in today's churches? Well, I've recently heard of congregations threatening to withdraw from members because they don't make it Wednesday night. And, and meanwhile, Paul's recommendation for Corinth for uh, uh, for destroying the backbone of the Lord's Supper was fix it. Don't, it wasn't withdrawal. There was one thing that they were told to withdraw from, and that was sin reigning in the congregation in the form of idolatry. Or uh, adultery, not idolatry. Let's get maybe the same word being used, uh, same <laughs> idea, but <laughs> it was adultery uh, in First in, uh, Corinthians chapter 5. But all these other things, Paul doesn't say withdrawal. He says, fix it. You know, and so part of that fixing process is uh, being there to do that. You have to be present to fix a problem. Uh, and so you have, and then you have uh, the, was it Chloe? That is, uh, is that the right, in chapter one, the, he, he hears the division from her, uh, from letters from her household. Um I think her name's Chloe, but they, uh, even that is, that's, that's her trying to, her household trying to fix a problem in Corinth. And she's, she's reaching out to the apostles who are the leadership of the day, reaching out to the, one of the apostles saying, what do we do about this? Uh, you, you don't read that in the, in, uh, that Chloe got so fed up that she went to a different congregation or started a new group. She was there. Part of being, uh, part of being part of the body is being present in the body. If you stop attending, uh, or you stop communicating, you stop getting together. How do you, how in the world do you think you're going to fix any problems? And so that's part of the uh, the purpose. Uh, let's actually talk about that a little bit uh, since we've already kind of. Before we get off that, right, go ahead. 
brought up was uh, reminded me of Second Timothy chapter two and verse twenty four. Paul says to Timothy, "A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient." In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they will know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so you see the character that we're supposed to have when we're dealing with issues like that. First of all, I'd make the point that if we're not around people, we won't even know if they have issues like that. Um, but then once we are aware of those issues, we have to have a relationship with them in order for, for us to be able to teach them, to be gentle to them and teach them. And we have to be patient with them while we're teaching them. Um, I think that was, I think, it, I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that if Corinth had not fixed their issues by the writing of the second Corinthian letter, um, there might have been some bigger problems and there might have been some stronger reactions from Paul. Um, but the fact that they did repent and Paul gave them that chance to repent um, is the pattern that we ought to follow. Yeah. Um, and so we don't, we don't need to have knee jerk reactions um, and immediately abandon our post or uh, send other people away from the post. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a shame that so many people are unwilling to work things out. Uh, and Paul, that the example that Paul is giving in writing that letter is, uh, and he, he himself says that he uh, he's writing to them instead of visiting them because he wants he doesn't want to bring harshness to them. Mm -hmm. so there's, there's obviously things that deserve harshness in them, uh, but he, he is giving that opportunity for repentance. And so uh, the idea that the, the servant of God should not be quarrelsome. You should not be out looking for a fight, uh, but you should be able to teach others and you should be able to uh, convince others and you should be able to dwell peacefully with others and be patient with them while they're fixing their problems and be patient while they're fixing the problems. Absolutely. All right. So in We've already talked about um, one benefit to getting together, and that's uh, and I'm not just talking about again. We're not just talking about the assembly. We're talking about any time we get together with Christians, just spending time together. One of the things that uh, that comes from that is we're able to work out our problems, and we're able to talk about problems, and we're able to work through them and figure that out, and have the relationship be to be able to talk about problems without getting upset. Yeah, it's. It's a lot harder to walk away from uh, from a situation that you are deeply ingrained into. And I think a lot of Christians think that they're deeply ingrained into their church or into the local congregation. Um, but really, the they don't have a life that is centered around other Christians. Uh, and so they... I see this around us and talking to Christians who maybe don't have that relationship with other Christians. I see this in uh, like signs of this in, in our conversation where they become shocked that certain Christians believe certain things or they're, they're uh, you know, it's just like, do, do people really hold that standard or do people really uh, talk that way? Or do people really not listen to that kind of music or whatever? 
whatever it is. And that I think those reactions come from the fact that you haven't spent any time with Christians talking out those differences. You haven't spent any time with Christians. Not only are you not working out the differences, you don't even know there's a difference there. And so, and I think there's a, uh, a lot of that going around in the church where I talk to Christians and they're like, I didn't, I've never even heard of that uh, being a problem or that being a difference. And I'm like, that's a difference in, in four or five of the families in this congregation. Some of that, that just tells you, you didn't talk to the congregation. Some of that too is just that some of us do spend a lot of time with Christians, but it's the same Christians over and over and over yeah. while we don't get to know other Christians. Uh, there's, there's um, we just, just by human nature, I think there is a tendency to develop clicks no matter what the social setting is. Um, whether we're talking about school or church or uh, whatever other social organization there might be um, that we're a part of, we tend to gravitate towards the people we already know and have the most in common with. And maybe that's not always the best thing. Yeah. Uh, diversity is not bad always. Right. So getting other opinions and, and getting other thoughts I'll tell on myself a little bit uh, and kind of to make two points here. But uh, every every Sunday afternoon, we typically eat lunch with brethren. And it's typically the same four families of brethren that, that go out uh, go out to eat with us. And this is just a little thing. Uh, but it, it translates into other things. I find that uh, when I'm, you know, want to spend time, want to go bowling or something, it's a lot of times it's those four families that I call. Uh, or if I want to, you know, if I'm inviting someone into my home, you know, those are the ones that I think of to invite into my home or, uh, to, you know, have a cards night or, you know, play spades or something. Those are the people that we think about the ones that are always there. And so, uh, and you know, I think we all do that. And I think we can learn two lessons from that. First, the first lesson is, uh, we need to branch out. We need to ask other people. And we've gotten to a point, I've been here almost two years, and we've gotten to a point where we don't really ask other people because we get shot down too much. and uh, Or they just don't come, so we quit asking. Um, and so, but we didn't ask everybody. We didn't try every everybody. And so sometimes people can't come. Sometimes people can come. But I think we need to make an effort to spend time, like even if it's something little, like going out to lunch on Sunday afternoon. We need to take the time to invite other people uh, to to that uh, to that lunch. Uh, but also, if you're the Christian who always t turns down spending time with other people, you know, because they're there, this has happened where we invite people out to lunch or to our home or something. And every time we do, there's an excuse or there's a reason why they don't want to or they, they just say no. Um you need to to make a habit of accepting invitations or um if you aren't giving invitations you need to make a habit of extending invitations you know i think a lot of christians get upset because nobody wants to spend time with them or and i know growing up and, and uh sam you're a little younger than i am um about seven years younger than i am um and so I, I grew up in just a general, a little bit generation above you, um, friends group, but uh, but in the same town. 
but you might think it's ridiculous that uh, growing up, I thought that nobody wanted to spend time with me. Like the whole time I was in St. James and I lived there, I thought really, well, most of the time uh, I was a member of the church in St. James. My parents were members uh, there most of my life. And then I was a member there until I was 20. And that whole time, except for maybe the years of 19 and 20, I thought nobody wanted to spend time with me. And I thought I was an outcast in the congregation. And I thought everybody looked down on me for one reason or another. And uh, I never stopped to consider that the reason I didn't go to birthday parties is because I never, uh, I never tried to speak to other people. Or the reason I didn't get included in things is maybe not because I wasn't invited and not because I, uh, they didn't intend to include me, but because I had refused or because uh, my parents had refused when I was younger. And, uh, and I just didn't get ingrained into, those, into that group of Christians growing up. And so I felt like an outcast a lot. And, and some of that, when I became a teenager, might have been I didn't get invitations because my behavior wasn't something people wanted to be around. And so I needed to fix my behavior. And then I needed to actually reach out. And so it's remarkable when I started, uh, when, when Grady Huggins went, uh, went off to college, he was teaching a, um, who's he, Grady's a year younger than I am. He was teaching a, uh, a Bible study, a teen young person's Bible study in St. James. Uh, and I think, I think we were going through, uh, Ephesians at the time and he, he was, we're about to finish Ephesians. And he was going to college and he needed somebody to pick up that study so it didn't just stop. And so he came to me and said, Craig, you really need to do this. And it's amazing how when I started studying the Bible, that's when I just started, started studying for that class. That's when I started taking my Christianity more seriously. <laughs> uh, and I started growing in grace and knowledge. And that's when, you know, remarkably, after I started studying the Bible more and acting like a Christian should act, that's when Christians started spending more time with me. And when I started reaching out to them to do things, now I'm all of a, all of a sudden I'm very included uh, in the, the group of young people there, my, my age group. It's amazing how just making an effort in yourself will pay back by uh, will return to you by effort from other people as well. And so mm. if, if you're the person who never invites and never accepts invites, then maybe the reason you're not, uh, you're feeling like an outsider in your congregation is because uh, it's because of you, because of your actions. And so maybe you should start reaching out. I'm going to use what your story there to kind of segue into another thing we wanted to talk about. Um, so your relationship with Grady um, is what got you in that position that he he pushed you in order to get you uh, get you where you needed to be in order to have those relationships. And that's another thing that we need to be aware of and on the lookout for um, in our personal lives is we need a Grady Huggins in our life. We need somebody to push us um, and to encourage us and to stir us up to love and good works. Um, and so in, in Titus chapter two, um, we see that responsibility laid on the shoulders of 
the older men and the older women in the congregation, that they are to be examples and they are to mentor and teach the younger people of the congregation. Um, just in the last year, uh, I have had several younger people tell me that they have been on the lookout for an older person to mentor them or to give them advice, um, just general advice even. And a lot of the older people that they've asked that they really look up to and really respect and revere have responded by saying basically that they're not the person to ask. And so they refuse. Um, don't do that. If you're an older person, there's a reason why the young people are looking to you for the, for the advice and for, for wisdom, because they see something in you that, uh, that they want, that they need. And so, uh, not only does the Bible lay that responsibility on your shoulders in Titus chapter two, but you are cheating the younger people, um, that desperately want your experience and your advice and if you don't give it to them, they're going to get it from somebody else. And the somebody else they go to might not be somebody very good for them to listen to. Yeah. I think we we both have heard stories of uh, young men picking the wrong mentors, picking the wrong people uh, to look up to. Um, I, I, I could say that uh, my little brother has picked uh, – in the, in the past, uh, picked a really rotten egg, uh, to, to mentor him. And because of that, he's having struggles and whether he knows he's struggling or not, he's having struggles, uh, with his faith, uh, because of the damage that that mentor did. Um, and so it's, it's really important to, to pick the correct ones. And if, if we as older Christians, uh, who people who are established in the faith, if we refuse to mentor younger people, uh, first of all, what you said, we're cheating them that op cheating them that opportunity. But also, again, to reiterate what you said, the uh, we're rolling the dice uh, and hoping that the person who does take them on and does talk with them. Uh, it isn't a rotten egg, isn't somebody who's going to destroy them and destroy their faith. Uh, and I don't think that if we love one another, I don't think that's a gamble that we should be willing to make. That's not a chance we're willing to take. And so um, talk about the importance of coming together and being together. So uh, what you what you were saying is that it gives the older people opportunity to mentor the younger people. And I think the other side of that coin that I didn't really touch on as much is that as younger people, we need to be looking for older people to mentor us. Yeah, absolutely. And so what it does is it opens up two opportunities. It op opens up the opportunity for younger people to seek mentors and to find mentors uh, who are godly and who are respected uh, in, in the church and not only respected in the church, but, uh, but counted as righteous by God. But it also gives older Christians the opportunity to learn how to teach and to learn how to mentor. 
And so it's it's not just the young people who are growing. Uh, it's the older people who also get to grow with the, from this relationship. And so the question arises, if, if you're not spending time with Christians, it, just outside of the services, outside of the official assemblies, assemblies of the local church, if you're not spending time with one another, if you're not deeply engrossed in one another's lives, uh, then why would the younger Christians come to you for guidance? Like, what are you offering them uh, that that you think that they're going to reach out for? Uh, the people don't reach out to strangers for guidance; they reach out to people they know. But it, also, a lot of the reasons why Christians never grow up to be teachers and never grow up to be mentors is because they refuse to mentor. <laughs> They refuse to help people. And so to that, I would say we need to empty ourselves of, of pride and and realize that, that if we don't mentor the next generation, then the mentorship that they're going to get uh, it, is not going to be from the church. It's not going to be from sound Christians. Can you imagine an entire generation growing up right now um, can you imagine an, an entire generation whose only mentor is TikTok <laughs> and the, the craziness on there or, or even just as bad Facebook or just as bad YouTube. Uh, if you, if you can't take the time to sit down and explain to, uh, to the young Christians around you, um, issues in the church, you know who's going to explain it to them? Some charismatic preacher on YouTube. Some uh, Bible project or something is going to explain matters of life and death to them. Uh, I don't know why we are willing to sacrifice the younger, uh, our, our younger Christians up to the idolatry of today's internet world. So part of getting together is growing that relationship so that people so that young people will come to the older people for questions uh to ask questions and so that you will know the younger people well enough as older people you will know them well enough to know that they need guidance and so that you could see uh something that that's uh going wrong you know i don't it's been several times now where I've somebody I know, maybe a member of my family or something um, is not what I thought they were. They they've been slipping for a long time, but I haven't been around them enough to realize how much they've been slipping until you get to see them again. And then you're like, Oh wow, this person is not the person they were a year ago. And so if, if we're just ignoring one another, we're going to be real shocked when that person uh, ends up over at Green Tree or something, if you're in St. James, <laughs> over at Green Tree, or you, ends up over at the the, the mega church. Over, uh, in this area, it's Harvester. You know, I don't know what it is down in Rogers, Arkansas, but they're, the, they're, they turn away from us and they turn to this other teacher 
who's going to feed them with some social nonsense. Uh, and they're going to reject the truth all because we couldn't take the time to spend time mm -hmm. with our, with our brother and to get to, off of, to teach them. I'm going to go off of something you said a little while ago. Um, a lot of the people, a lot of the older people that are uh, neglecting their responsibility to mentor the younger generation are doing so because they feel underqualified. Um, and they're doing so because they don't, they lack confidence in their ability to do that. Um, in, in some ways that's understandable. I think that when we're faced with a task that, that, that's that, that is that important, um, it, it is easy to lack confidence, but Paul said, or again, <laughs> the Hebrew writer um, said in Hebrews five, um, he was in verse 12, he says, for uh, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have uh, come to need milk and not solid food. And so there's also, if we are partaking of solid food, then we should be qualified to be teachers. And if we're not qualified to be teachers, then we're probably not partaking of the right kind of spiritual food. Um, and when the Hebrew writer is writing this, he's not addressing it to preachers. He's not addressing it to um, the leadership of a church. He's addressing it to Christians. If you've been a Christian for very long, you ought to have been partaking of solid spiritual food. And if you've been partaking of solid spiritual food, then you ought to be teachers. Um, and it's up to us to find opportunities to be teachers. But if you've been a Christian for very long, you should be teaching. And that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean... Uh, you should be leading a class in worship service. No, I think that's a very minority of the people again, that we'll be talking to. It's, yeah, but it's again, if we if we start limiting the idea, of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, your personal relationships. If you've allowed the word to affect your life, then you should be teaching. Yeah, the same problem we're talking about is the same thing that happens in chapter ten where we lessen the uh, the scope of assembly to mean local assembling, assembly of the saints. And here in, in Hebrews chapter 5, we're lessening the idea of teacher to just simply mean a formal teacher. Right. And there's so many more ways that we teach other people. Uh, you know, when we just answer questions sitting at a dinner table or we're having a conversation you know, if me and you sat down at at, uh, at a restaurant, you said, "Craig, I've been thinking about this. What are your thoughts?" Uh, in in that way, in that capacity, I am a teacher. I am I'm showing you my understanding of the scripture, and or if if you're in a situation and you show uh, the characteristics of a Christian, in that way, you are a teacher because you are showing them your understanding of the scriptures by your actions. And how you uh, how you uh, handle yourself and how you maintain your relationships, and so teaching is a very broad scope. But you should be, by your example and by your, by your conduct, by your your speech, you should be teachers. And uh, if if we're doing a really good job of that, then a nobody's going to come to us to be their teacher if we're not exhibiting the fact that the word has impacted our lives. And if they can't see that, which they would see that by us spending time with them, 
But um, Paul says something interesting in First Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, I think it's verse 8. He says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our own lives. Um, that is the extent of the time that the that uh, Paul was spending with the Thessalonians when he was with them. And that is that is why he was able to teach them so effectively. It's not just that he was talking at them, but he was he was around them so much and they were able to observe him so much because he was imparting his life to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. I think we see this in the New Testament church, right? Uh, and Paul says it. I I didn't just impart the gospel, but I imparted my life to you. Uh, but that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. All those who believed, uh, they had they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They went from house to house. They ate together. They partook of the Lord's Supper together. They prayed together. They studied together. They lived together. They... Uh, they they had all things in common. So if anyone had a need, they were, it was uh, maintained. All the needs were maintained. Uh, we see that closeness in the first century church. And you might uh, say that this has kind of been explained or even maybe explained away by people saying, well, this these were Jews who were uh, showing hospitality because they were uh Jewish Christians were there for the Passover and now they didn't go back to their homes. And so they needed that uh, help in that time. But that's not what we see in Romans chapter 12, right? We don't see a bunch of uh, people who are homeless, who had traveled to Jerusalem and then obeyed the gospel and just stuck around. That's not what we're looking at. But the same ideas are being presented in Romans chapter 12, as we see being acted in the the act by the actions of acts chapter 2 uh, romans chapter 12 uh verse 9 let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be kindly affectionate to one another and brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit uh, serving the lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality Bless those who curse, or bless those who persecute you, rather. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we could continue on, but that sums it up pretty well. Uh, what was being shown in Acts chapter 2, where the Jewish Christians just did these things. And I, I, would, I would say that they just did these things because this is the example the apostles gave them to do. They didn't just... Uh, I mean, if we look through the Gospels at the behavior of Christ, uh, at the behavior of Jewish people in the days of Christ, it wasn't uh, an open door policy, even though that is how it is in the law of Moses, where they are to bring the stranger into their household. That is part of their life. Uh, that's not what we see in in uh, Matthew who and in Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see uh, Chris, uh, We see Jews who are very divided. And if you were certain kinds of Jews, you didn't get to come in and eat in my house. And so that's not the uh, that's not what we saw. I think the apostles gave them that and showed them that. But in Romans, what we see is Gentile Christians who are being told there's a certain way you should behave to one another. There's a certain way you should treat one another. And part of that 
is preferring one another and prevalence or in, in preference uh, and honor, rather giving preference to one another in verse 10. Uh, you should be rejoicing with one another. You should be weeping with one another. You should be distributing to the needs of one another. You should be rejoicing in hope. You should be patient with one another, even in tribulation. You should continue steadfastly with prayer with one another. All this is talking about a group activity. Uh, and all of that kind of bleeds back to let your love be without hypocrisy. Uh, if If you're not being together, if you're not sharing your lives together, then you don't love each other the way that you say you love each other because love uh, love behaves a certain way. And if you say you love and you do not behave that way, then you love only in word and you do not love in action. And so just spending time together is kind of a bare minimum uh, for love, right? Hmm. It, it, it's the bare minimum you could do. And so, uh, we see it happening in Acts chapter 2. We see it expected in Romans chapter 12. Uh, and it covers a whole host of things that we're commanded to do. Stir, uh, getting together to stir one another up covers a lot of what we are commanded to do as Christians in growing and strengthening and bearing one another's burdens and uh, providing for the needs. You know, there's a lot of Christians... Um, who, who are in a lot of need, who don't get that need, who don't, who, who those needs aren't taken care of because nobody knows they're in need. Because a lot of times, put to put Christians on the hot seat here, a lot of times we get so comfortable living our lives where I have no idea that this family down the road who I worship with every Sunday uh, can't afford to uh you know they they have they can't afford meat for their meal or something and so they they actually have need or they're having struggles meeting uh trouble meeting their bills uh or whatever it, whatever it is they're having car troubles we don't know these things because we're not part of their lives and so Let's, we um, have need go unattended to because we're just not part of their lives i think we can bring shut-ins into this conversation as well uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, in verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And so what I think we see there is hospitality uh, towards those within the body and hospitality towards those without. But in verse 3, it says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And there, I think it's talking about those who are imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. Um, but remembering basically those who are shut in, those who are not able to get out um, and remember them as if you are chained there with them, that you are in the same situation as them. I think every congregation has uh, some members who are shut in, um, who maybe get neglected um, in the day to day. Um, and definitely they don't have the same benefit of the stirring up of love and good works and the encouraging one another so much, the more as we see the day approaching that those of us have that are able to be together um, just on at a, at a moment's notice, you know, the people that are shut in have to have people come to them. They can't go see other people. And so if they're in need of some social interaction, if they're in need of some encouragement, they have to have someone come to them. They can't be the one to initiate those 
um, those interactions. And so it's very important that we keep them in mind that we prioritize uh, spending time with those people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to take a moment to jump up on a soapbox and uh, just say that in-person interaction is different than virtual interaction. Amen. Uh, we have a lot of, sh- we have, we don't have a lot of shut-ins. We have a few shut-ins here. Um, and when they're not able to make it to services, uh, because they're shut in by definition, they're unable to make it to services. Uh, we do offer live streaming. We, we live stream every worship service, every Bible class. And I believe Rogers does the same thing where they live stream their Sundays, uh, sermons and worship services. Um, and we make those things available. But if you've ever missed a service because you were sick or something and you had to watch a live stream, you should know that that is not the same thing. Those are not equal. And so when we opt to miss services for a live stream, um, just know that you're not getting the benefit and the people who are you're supposed to be benefiting are not getting the benefit. It goes right. Your consumer mindset. Um, I'm still seeing the sermon. I'm still getting the food or whatever, but you're not fulfilling any responsibilities that you have to anybody else that's there. It's very selfish. Yeah. But in the same way, I I think I've harped. If just go back and look at our sermon records, I think I've harped enough on, um, the need to be here, the need to be present during the worship uh, and and how you're robbing yourself and you're robbing others of your presence. That, uh, but, but it's the same thing with our day-to-day interaction. It's a, there's a big difference between me calling somebody on the phone and me going and sitting with them in their home. It, there's a difference between being able to, to, to hug and to shake hands uh, and to hold hands during prayer. A lot of guys are, are afraid of holding hands with other people uh, that they're not intimate with uh, while they're praying. They're, that means a lot to people. <laughs> when you Or if, if you're too scared to hold hands with each other, it, it means a lot just to, to have some physical touch to have a, a, a hand on the shoulder. There was a reason why uh, we, we read about the laying on of hands so much in the New Testament, and it's not always to impart spiritual gifts. Most, matter of fact, outside of the apostles, it's never to impart spiritual gifts. It's always talking about uh, showing fellowship and showing support uh, in a situation. And so like when the elders come in James chapter five, when the elders come to pray with the sick, um, they're laying their hands on the sick, sick and anointing them with oil. Uh, that's that's not some miraculous thing. That's literally just bringing medicine, taking care of the needs of the of the saints, but also being there in person, showing a concern, showing uh, that familiarity, showing that fellowship and that that encouragement. I'll bring in uh, Acts chapter 20 as well when when Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders for the last time after he gives them his parting words of wisdom, basically 
Um, in verse 36, it says, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all because the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. Um, and so obviously it's not talking about like intimate um, relationship, but the physical touch um, is, is, is important there. It's a, uh, it's very, it's communicating something to Paul there. Yeah. And you, you see that relationship uh, we talked about earlier, we see that relationship acts 21 and verse five, mm. where uh, Paul leaving Troas, right? Paul is leaving and all of the family, the saints and their families and their children are all with him uh, as he departs. It's more the the closeness that Paul has with these people. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he um, most most of these people he's never going to see again. And he's so close with them that they're walking him to his ship, and they're praying with him. They're kneeling down and they're weeping with him uh, because they know that they're never going to see their friend again. They're never going to see their brother. It's it's, it's tire, um, but yeah, it's, okay, yeah, but it's it's. Uh... We, we were talking before before we hit record on this that um, you know it, it it seems like it's the whole congregation basically that is that is there for Paul in the situations yeah. all the men their wives and their children uh, there in verse five and and they walk with him until they're out of the city then they kneel down on the shore and pray and then they take their leave of one another board the ship and return home but we were talking before we hit record like when's the last time you saw that happen. When somebody yeah. was um, who was close uh, with a congregation comes and visited, uh, and the whole congregation walks into their car, or or something to that effect, you know that the relationship uh, between brethren uh, at that time, of course, it was a little bit different because they didn't have a cell phone um, and they didn't yeah. have the communication or the the transportation availability to to visit very often. But um, but you can really see it's very. Uh, there's a lot of imagery there for us to see the closeness of that relationship. You know, I'll tell you kind of bragging on ourselves a little bit, uh, but uh, I'll tell you the last time I saw something that was close to that is when uh, if, if any of you have ever left uh, uh, or attended PTC and the, the Friday that we leave after the last class and all the tables have been put up, and all the chairs have been put up and everybody is, uh, the cars have all been packed. Everybody's about to walk out. The entire common area is filled with brethren, uh, crying and hugging and, uh, exchanging, making sure we have information exchange. We spend an entire week getting to know each other. And a lot of us have known each other for years and years. And, uh, you know, some of these times like this was this, uh, this year, uh, Jr. announced that he wasn't going to be there next year, and so that that's very a very emotional thing, uh, where it's kind of like the the older guys are, are starting to step away, um, and you're not going to see him again. Uh, you don't know if you're going to see him again. You don't know when that's going to be, and so we see that I see that closeness. I feel that closeness with the brethren that we attend PTC with. Absolutely. Um, what I don't see, unfortunately, is I don't see that in our local congregations. And I love my brethren and I love being with my brethren. Uh, but I'm telling you, I don't see that. 
I, I don't see that when I visit other places. I don't see that at home. I don't see that anywhere. And it's, it's kind of depressing that we don't have that closeness where, uh, where we are um, happy to see one another, where we're greeting one another. Uh, I have that with a few of the members uh, at any, at several different congregations where if I'm there or here, if I'm, when we come together, uh, there's that genuine closeness. Uh, But I, I think we're missing that. And I think, uh, maybe it's technology. Maybe we could blame it on communication uh, styles today and how pe- what people are used to. But I really wish that we would get back to that. Sam is indicating that we have gone over an hour and he's uncomfortable with the time, uh, the <laughs> amount of time we've, we've spent talking about this. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, the... Uh, the importance of coming together, there's no way that we can fulfill the commands of God and that we can strengthen one another and not be together. I'll also there's throw there. out there as a, as a way of closing that, um, you know, as Christians, our intention in this life is to spend eternity together. And if that is our intention, then we better get comfortable doing that now. Yeah. Christians can't, a lot of Christians can't stand each other here. What are they going to do when there's no other congregation to escape to? (laughs) It's, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Anyways, join us uh, two weeks from today. Um, And we'll be back together. And hopefully, um, hopefully you guys were encouraged by this uh, conversation. I know I was. I'm always encouraged when me and Sam get to sit down and talk with each other. It's always a a building experience for me, whether it's recorded or not. And so I really appreciate uh, his, uh, your thoughts, Sam. And I really appreciate other people listening. Um, We got to get those numbers up. We got some rookie numbers on the last recording. Some of you guys need to be sharing this. What's going on. Do you know who we are? We're like really important people, right? Really popular. I think if you have, if you say you're important and have to say it or have to say you're popular, it probably means you're not. But uh, uh, if you were encouraged, not not that we are popular or even worthy of it, but uh, share share the podcast with other people uh, so we can uh, so other people can be encouraged. And if you have a idea of what uh, you want to want us to talk about, send it to one of us. Um, most of the people who are listening knows uh, know how to get a hold of one or the other, and so. Uh, get a hold of one of us, and uh, I think the comments on Spotify are turned on, if nothing else. And so you can uh, add a comment and ask or send a message to us. So appreciate you guys, and uh, we will catch you next time in uh, in a couple of weeks. Take care. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>